Hey, Waste No Day crew, just wanted to jump in here before we release this week's episode. We just wanted to say a big thank you to you. We are celebrating episode 150 this week, and that would not be possible without your support and your listening ears. And we're so grateful for you and all the comments and feedback that you give us, and really the ability to make each and every one of you better is our privilege, and we hope that you are taking that same privilege and extending it to others. It's Independence Day week. And for that, we have a very special guest to celebrate not only our 150th anniversary, but the birth and defense of our country and the leadership tactics that it took to get us there. Welcome to the show, J.P. Dinell, and we're going to start that episode right now. I was that knucklehead. I was that liberty writ. I was that leadership challenge. 100% fill in the blank, whatever you want to say, that was me. Getting arrested for fighting, me. DUI, me. Divorces, me. Bad money management, me. Like all those things, whatever you want to talk about, me. I did all of those things. And guess what got me back on the path every single time? A leader that I had a good relationship with. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again. And man, do we have a great show in for you. It's going to be great talking to J.P. Donnell today on world-class leadership. It's going to be a fantastic conversation, and we are so excited to have him on the show. But first, Brian and I are going to spend a little bit of time breaking down leadership for you ourselves. Brian, where is our quote today? Billions of people around the world pray daily to have your struggles. Change your mindset from I have to do this to I get to do this. J.P. Donnell. Oh, I love that. I love that quote. That's so good. And that mindset shift is so important. I was just thinking about that the other day. I think we've talked about it before, but it is something that I think it's very important as a parent that I communicate that to my children. Not, not that we have to do things, that we get to do things. And I think that's a shift, you know, whether it's Hey kids, you know, it's, it's time to go to church, uh, or it's, it's time to go to church. We have to go to church. We get to go to church, right? Or Hey kids, it's time to go to school. You have to go to school. You get to go to school. Um, and that starts with me. That starts with my own perspective of how I'm viewing things. Hey kids, we, we get to listen to the Waste No Day podcast. No. Six episodes on this six hey hour kids, drive. You have to listen to the Waste No Day podcast. <laughs> you get to listen to dad pontificate and yes. make corny jokes with his buddy. Exactly. <laughs> Funny you should bring up parenting because uh, he JP said that quote. Um, he was talking about he and Jocko and Echo Charles, Jocko Willink and Echo Charles were on a podcast talking about what some of that, what some of those struggles look like by by the other billions of people around the world who wish they were here, you know, in the U.S. or in a in a first world country dealing with the problems we deal with, which are pretty minor in comparison. And what they were talking about was like, 
having actual mothers tossing their kids, like their babies, at them and begging them to take them back to the U.S. with them. Oh, yeah, like the Afghanistan extraction. Yeah, and this this would have been Iraq, but like just, just tossing a kid at you saying, please, you know, it's too late for me, but please take this baby and, and you know, try to give him, give her a, a decent shot at a life in your country. So it really put put into perspective, like, I don't know what I was dealing with at the time. They're like stepping on a toy and being like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I have to deal with this, you know, yeah. I'm trying to walk out of my basement gym and there's a toy in the middle of the floor. Like, come on. First world problems there. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And whatever first world problem we're dealing with, like we we're very fortunate and in general, we're just very fortunate. I mean, we're, we're uh, doing whatever we're doing right now. Nate and I are sitting in our quote unquote studio enjoying each other's company enjoying the fact that we're talking to easily five people out there listening to the show easily five maybe even ten who knows who knows um and you are driving to your call or sitting at your desk or working out or whatever you're doing listening to this show hopefully enjoying yourself hopefully enjoying the content we're bringing but our you know our lives aren't that difficult and uh the ability to reflect and just step outside of ourselves for a minute in our situation and appreciate that. It's a, it's a big deal. Like to be able to do that is a big deal. Um, and I appreciated that quote that JP said he's been through, I mean, he's been through a crap load of stuff. If you, I, I do recommend going to Jocko Willing's podcast and downloading the, I believe there's three, maybe four, uh, JP episodes. Yeah, he, I think he's been on three that I've already recorded, and he has a fourth one in the in the bag. I'm not sure if that will release at the time of this episode or not. But yeah, yeah, so it'll be, it'll be out momentarily. But yeah, there's really, really amazing episodes, and they, they, I, I promise you, you won't be disappointed if you go listen to those. It's just, it's very patriotic. It's very um, humbling hearing what these men and women go through in the service, and and um, you know, fighting for our freedoms and fighting for uh, what they believe is right and the people that they help in these nations. It's it's just really good stuff. So I, I highly recommend go hear his full story. Go hear uh, about his relationship with Jocko and how, how they serve together and uh, support that show in any, any way possible. Support, support what they're doing at Echelon Front. Absolutely. Great organization with so many impactful leaders and leadership is something that uh, is always a passion of ours. Brian and I both serve in a leadership capacity and uh, we are trying to train up leaders within our own organization as well as people who are listening to this podcast because what the world needs is more leaders. One of the simplest definitions of leadership has come from Bill Hybels and that is simply the ability to take people from point A to point B. And really, that's what we're trying to do. We hope this podcast serves as, as that for you in terms of taking you from where you are now to where you want to go in your career, your life, your future. But in terms of actual leadership capacity, in terms of leading men and women and individuals and souls and, and you know everything that is a part of it, we need people who are well-skilled, well-developed, well-trained, well-experienced, and well-motivated to do this well because we need more leaders. You know, it'd be pretty cool to do taking a pretty hardcore transition turn here is uh, if I got to play a VP of sales in a huge blockbuster movie. Or uh, you would be or it would be about you. No, no, no. I just just play that. Or if you got to what do you do? 
<laughs> if you got to play a, a uh, podcast co-host of a... Uh, uh, no, the host of sorry. a podcast. If you got to play a podcast, the host uh, of a podcast in a huge, big, big budget movie, but kind of as an extra, like, you know, they were just going through. And J.P. Donnell, Navy SEAL, sniper, played a Navy SEAL in Transformers 5. No kidding. The last night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool little tidbit about JP. Like, I believe shot in Detroit, too. So he got the experience of fine, fine city of Detroit. Like, he got shot in Detroit? Because that would make sense. No, that would make sense. But, no, he they shot that, at least maybe his scene in no, Detroit. Okay, gotcha. If not the movie. I don't think the whole movie, but his scene. That scene where they showed some Navy SEALs. So, yeah, that would be pretty cool, right? That would be cool. Playing, uh, what do you, marketing manager? What do you do? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> podcast host yes that's <laughs> my title podcast host in a movie you know that wasn't about podcast host but it was actually a transformers movie but it just flipped scenes to a guy hosting a podcast and bam there's nate minnick doing what he does in real life flexing pretty cool but i'm really excited to talk to jp about so many things like hearing his story and and uh have him talk to us about world-class leadership training because he has I mean, as far as I know, the, among the greatest leadership trainers of our time is Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, the guys who wrote uh, Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership, and they mentioned him in that book over and over. And not only has he been around the greatest, some of the greatest leadership trainers of our lives, uh, he is now one of the great leadership trainers. He goes around the world to do this for a living. So I'm pretty pumped to talk to him about that and let, let him pontificate a bit. But I'm also really excited to, to uh, hopefully we have time to get into what they call Murphy's Laws of Combat. And one in particular that I just thought was amazing, which was um, incoming fire has the right of way. <laughs> so that was such a good premise. And I'm, I'm wondering how we can uh, relate that to, to the home services. Mm, yeah, that is a, that is a good one. External problems, you know, not like our internal stuff, but external problems ha has the right away. So I'm pretty pumped to see if we can shoehorn that in there somewhere. It's not like on the agenda to talk about, but if we can, you had no problem shoehorning a random Transformers Transformers Five, five or me in a movie scene into the intro. So I see yeah, no I, reason. I, I I'm probably not bringing it up on the on the uh, interview because I don't know if it was a good experience for him or not. I know he had to go to Detroit and I left Detroit for a reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, before we jump into our conversation with JP, it is time now for our review of the week. Brian, who's in the spotlight today? Today we're going to read two reviews. I know it's a little off the cuff. Uh, we're going to read a review from Apple because that's what we do every week from the uh, Apple podcast app. But we're also going to read one that I got sent via Facebook Messenger the other day from a fan. So, great job, guys. Five stars. What's up? Brian and Nate, little chirp, it says in parentheses. My man. Do a, fast, do a fantastic job with this podcast. If you are in the home services industry, whether it's HVAC, plumbing, electrical, anything else, this podcast is for you. They have some of the industry's top experts on and cover many aspects of the industry there's a wealth of knowledge whether you're a technician working for somebody or own a small shop or one of the big dogs in the industry keep up the great work guys levi b 
Appreciate that, Levi. Yeah, appreciate that, buddy. Levi and B. That sounds like probably a probably a co-producer of one of my new singles or something like that. Oh, Levi B. Levi yeah. B. Yeah, it's, he's yeah. good Pro- beats. Probably uh, not a producer. He's going to collaborate with you. I like that. He's going to have a he's going to have a verse. He's going to do the hook. Yes, Levi B. Hook hit, hit me up with the yeah, with some gonna, ideas. He's either going to produce the beat. I think he's going to going to wrap the hook for you. He's, he's a rapper producer. Yeah, this is going to be amazing. He's good. Levi B, get a hold of us, bud. We need you. That's really... <laughs> this, little, this little chirp single's never going to happen without you. <laughs> Great review there from Levi B. We appreciate that. And Brian, did I hear you say uh, round two? Yep. You ready? Let's go. Good morning, Brian. Last night, we were out to eat, and I asked a girl for her phone number. And got it. hey yo, Boom. First time I've ever done that. Inspired by your story of the flight attendant. Oof, I should probably clear that up. <laughs> Not what it sounds like, although kind of is what it sounds like. Uh, insti- inspired by your story of the flight attendant. Never split the difference to figure out what to say. Go for no to think about alternate outcomes. And the five-second rule to come up with the courage. It's hard to imagine where I would be right now had I not found the Waste No Day podcast. Thank you. That was from Braden Frondorf. I hope I uh, said that last name right, but I certainly got the Braden part right. Uh, sent me that text via Facebook Messenger. And, uh, hey, man, we appreciate it, buddy. Braden is an electrician who listens to the show, and uh, thank you for shooting us that message, buddy. It's good to hear that you you pulled that phone number. We had uh, I had told the story of my mentor making me uh, get the phone number of or try to get, try to get the phone number of a uh, large um, flight attendant who was I don't know 40 maybe 40 years my senior um, not kind of as a dare but he just used to make me do things like um, like try to get us upgraded to first class for free like try to get, you know get three pieces of info from the bartender um, that were just kind of oddball pieces of information. I was like, shy. I was too shy. And I had a hard time breaking the ice to, to open a conversation. So, um, you know, there'd be two contractors at, at a table next to us eating lunch. And he would, like, prompt me to go ask them questions about their business or find out things about their industry. Like, just always making me get outside my comfort zone and go get some information from them. But this was this was one of the worst. And if you want to hear the story, it's pretty uh, entertaining, I think. Embarrassing, yes, but entertaining as well. That was Keys to Relationship Building with Jeremy Pruitt of Success Academy from October 31st, 2022. In the intro to that episode, I told the story of the flight attendant. And this is what Braden is referring to when he made his move to go get a phone number at dinner. So cool. Thanks for the review, buddy. I appreciate you reaching out and I am glad and Nate is glad that our show is able to impact you and change your life for the positive, man. It's awesome and great to hear. Absolutely glad to hear that. And you're going to be glad to hear JP Dinell as we put him in your passenger seat. Our guest today is J.P. Donnell. He is a former U.S. Navy SEAL and now a leadership instructor, speaker, and strategic advisor with Echelon Front, where he serves as director of experiential leadership training programs. 
Jeremiah spent nearly a decade in the SEAL teams with three combat deployments. Sent to the violent terrorist strongholds of Al-Ramadi, Iraq in 2006, with SEAL Team 3's Task Unit Bruiser. JP served as point man, machine gunner, and lead sniper for Delta Platoon, opposite the American sniper Chris Kyle, who was in Charlie Platoon. For his leadership and courage under fire, JP was awarded a Silver Star, two Bronze Stars with Valor, and the Army Commendation Medal with Valor, helping Task Unit Bruiser to become the most highly decorated special operations unit of the Iraq War. He worked closely with SEAL officers Jocko Wielink, his task unit commander, and Leif Babin, and was the driving force on many of the daring combat operations Jocko and Leif wrote about in Extreme Ownership, the book. Upon his return, JP again worked directly for Jocko as a training instructor at Naval Special Warfare Group 1 Training Detachment, where he orchestrated realistic and challenging training scenarios for special operations urban combat training and close quarters combat training to better prepare SEAL units for the real-world battlefield. He also served as a combatives instructor, marksmanship instructor, and earned his master trainer specialist qualification while helping Jocko rebuild and enhance these training programs into the highly effective platforms that they are today. It is our honor, and we are glad to welcome J.P. Donnell. Welcome here, buddy. Hey, guys. Appreciate you having me on here. Appreciate you joining us, man. We feel significantly, probably more honored when we get someone who served this country at the level that you have and your friends and comrades at Echelon Front. And this is a way for Nate and me, at least what we feel like, a way to give back. Neither of us served, but we have a great appreciation and affection for you guys who did serve and uh, both served and sacrificed so much. And uh, yeah, so we just want to thank you for coming on and giving us a piece of your very valuable time, man. Well, I appreciate it, guys. It's good to have you on, like Brian said, and thank you very much for your service to our country. And we want to start there in terms of understanding a little bit of your backstory and who you are, what you've done with your life, how you got into the military and what you're doing now. So bring us up to speed on the current state of affairs with Mr. JP. All right. Sounds good. I like to put this out whenever I'm doing podcasts is people want to go deeper into my backstory because I've been on Jocko's podcast a few times and those were longer episodes and I know we don't have that same amount of time. So I definitely want to make the most of this time to where we can dive into some different stuff. But if people want to listen to Jocko's podcast episode 46, 246, 309, and then I was just on 376. And then we just recorded one two nights ago. That'll be coming out in a week or two. That'll be coming out. I definitely go to my story there, but just for those that are listening that maybe aren't going to go listen to Jocko's podcast, I, I grew up in Sacramento, California. I grew up playing Navy Seals. All I wanted to do was serve my country. I had this just draw to serve in the military. I was infatuated with the Navy Seals. My brother Corey and I used to play Navy Seals together all the time and we absolutely just we loved it grew up with my dad doing construction his dad did construction his dad my grandfather was an old farmer from nebraska um and had his mom sign a age waiver so that he could go into the military at the age of 16 because world war ii wow. was going on so from the age of 16 to 20 he was serving in the Navy on a destroyer in a few battles up in the Pacific region, which is insane when you really think about that, man. <laughs> you really think about a 16-slash-17-year-old kid joining the military because we're at war and then 
straight up like after training going and on a ship and you're just going straight into battle. And it's just, I always think about that. And I know people want to talk bad on our current generation and I, I get it. There's some issues for sure. I definitely don't think our current generation would answer the call like our, our forefathers did. But to me that I look at that as like hope, meaning it could be in every single one of us. If we chose to answer the call, if we chose to step up, if we chose to lead leadership, it's a skill set. Leadership is the solution to every problem that you have in your life. And it just shows that if we as humans, focus on developing our youth and developing the people around us to be better humans and better leaders, we can actually make a difference. And I just think it's cool when I get to talk about my grandfather and what he did. To me, that's like a beacon of hope and inspiration knowing that, hey, you know what? We could guide some young studs out there to do the same thing. We really can. And it just takes a handful of people. It takes a handful of people that want to step up and lead. As you guys know, in your industry, you have some amazing people and then you also have some turds like we did in the seal team that are just like eh, skating along and doing the bare minimum but it's the handful of people that really care that can change a culture that can really make a difference in a in a company and we definitely saw that from our grandfather's generation growing up doing construction with my dad was awesome he was a very hard worker he showed me the value of hard work so did my mom and it was really cool being able to go out to job sites and help out and had a tool bag when I was a little kid and showing me the, the skill set and just being able to be a part of jobs was really cool for me as a kid because it gave me a sense of purpose. And that's another thing that I think about that we need to be doing as parents and as leaders is giving people the ability to be a part of something that that they know is bigger than them, meaning that there's a lot of responsibility for what they're doing. And, you know, people know when they're not qualified to do something. I was training jujitsu at Jocko's gym yesterday after we got done recording some online leadership training programs. And it, <laughs> the group of monsters that he texts to meet up for us to train was it was insane. And I'm, I'm a crappy purple belt in jujitsu. I don't get a train very often. I don't make it a priority because I travel so much and I might train once a week, maybe. And so you're not improving your skill set with that for jujitsu. And it's just, it is what it is for now, but I'm in this room of guys that are just, they're straight monsters. And I remember sitting there going, I, man, I don't deserve to be in this room. Their skill set is so much higher than mine. It, like there's the gap is insane guys. Like Ryan and Nate, like when I tell you, and I'm a dude, I was a Navy SEAL for 12 years, which we'll get into. I fought MMA. I have a decent amount of confidence in myself. I'm not exaggerating when I'm like watching these other guys train and just freaking get after it. And I'm like getting to train with some of them and knowing my rounds are coming up next with some of those guys. I wasn't scared. I wasn't nervous. But I'm sitting there going, man, I, the gap is so big, I should not be in this room. <laughs> and But the cool thing about that is it gave me actually more confidence when I was done with that training session. And it gave me a sense of fulfillment and inspiration to actually train harder and be in better shape and be stronger and just do the things that I know I'm supposed to do. And 
guess what? I, as literally, as we're talking about this right now, like I'm realizing that's what my dad and mom did for myself, my brother, Corey, and my sister, Sarah, constantly as we were growing up was putting us in situations where it seemed bigger than us so that we could grow and we could push ourselves and be developed. And that's something that we need to be doing as parents. And it's something that we need to be doing as leaders, because again, leadership is the solution to any problem that you have in your life. And if we're not taking the time to put people thoughtfully in hard situations where you're teaching them how to think, not what to think, but how to think, we're actually failing the people around us. And I'm very thankful that my parents did that for us. So I graduate high school and I spend that summer working construction with my dad. And it was, it was awesome. It was a great time that I had. And for me to be able to like work alongside my dad, it was incredible. And I just, I really enjoyed that opportunity to have just really work really hard that summer. And I went into boot camp September 5th, 2001. And five days later, 9-11 happened when I was in boot camp. Wow. And that was a defining moment because I, originally they came in to our space and said, hey, our nation's been attacked. We might be going to war and walked out. Everyone was like, ha ha, we're at boot camp. There's just some like mock drill that we're at war with the Russians. I guess we can't really joke about that currently. But back then, it was like a joke that, hey, we might be might be going to war. Okay, we're going to go. This is training. And we quickly realized, guys, that it wasn't a, it wasn't a drill. It wasn't a joke. And for a lot of guys, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I'm thankful that because the way I was raised and also my mindset going into boot camp, wanting to be a Navy. So I joined the Navy to be a Navy SEAL, meaning I wanted to go to war. I wanted to hunt down the enemy. I wanted to take the fight to those that were going to try to cause harm to innocent people. That's what I wanted to do. And so for me, I'm like, okay, let's go. And as I look back at that, it's just a shift of mindset. These other guys, they were good guys. They were good Americans that joined the military to serve their nation. The difference was the initial mindset. My mindset was already like, hey, war, conflict, hunting down bad people. That was just my motivating factor to be a Navy SEAL. And also the fact that everyone's, hey, it's the hardest military training in the world. I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds like a good challenge. Think of like the ego. You have to have at that age, which is good. Dude, we want people to have egos because it drives us. You guys think about what you guys do on job sites and what you do in business. Like, you don't think ego is driving you and the men and women that you guys work with to work hard? Come on now. We all know that. And whoever's listening, guess what? Your ego is a good thing. God designed you to have that ego to push you, to drive you. But if we can't control our ego, if we can't show humility, that's a dangerous thing place to be it's a really dangerous place to be and so going into that training i had a good sense of confidence and i remember i used to tell my best friend chris eaton when i was when we were working and when i was training and leaving from the military confident not cocky and it was like we would hold each other accountable on that and it was pretty cool going into that environment with that mindset and make go through boot camp my basic schooling in the navy so i could have my skill set the 
job that I picked was whole technician, meaning I was going to be doing pipe fitting and pipe, pipe fitting, bending, cutting, steel work, fabrication, welding, all that different type of stuff down at the, in the whole, in the engineering compartment of a ship. And I picked that job simply because they had a handful of jobs. I was like, hey, these are steel source ratings, meaning these are jobs that you can pick that will align and transfer over to being in the field team. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like going through all of them. So I'm like trying to pick like the fastest one because all I wanted to do, even obviously this was before 9-11 when I was picking my job before I went to boot camp, was I just wanted the shortest one so I can get to buds. But then also I wanted like an actual tangible skill set because I was at least aware enough to like, hey man, like if you're gonna if you're gonna spend time doing something, don't waste it. Have an actual skill set. And for me, the ability to weld was like, oh cool. I can I want my dad and my grandpa to be proud that I can weld. I want to have a skill set to where when I go back home and they're out on a job site or if I'm up on my grandparents' property, I could weld something, I could help out, I could do whatever. And it was cool going through that schooling. I, I was the number one recruit in my boot camp division, number three overall for all the divisions that graduated. I was number one in my A school, and then I went to BUDS, and I, I started with class 242. I graduated with class 242. There was about 222 guys that started on day one. I was one of 28 of those originals that graduated from training. So there's, a high, there's a high attrition rate. There's a high attrition rate no of guys that decide, hey, you know what? I just, I don't want to be here anymore. And that's, again, not an issue with them. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. It's just, they decided it's not what they wanted to do anymore. And make it through that training, check in the steel teams. And man, BUDS was fun. I enjoyed going through BUDS. It was a lot of fun. And I would tell myself every single day, I get to do this. And so for me, it was just a, there's a cool mindset to be able to have going through that training of I get to be here. I get to do this. And when you're living life and you're going through hard, difficult situations, if you can tell yourself, I get to do this, it is so much better. It prepares you to work through those hard days. It prepares you to, it prepares you like to do the hard work and also it holds you accountable to your goals and your visions and your dreams so that you don't quit. Yeah, it allows you to hold yourself accountable. And it was it was a big thing for me to be able to make it through that training at a young age. Not a lot of young guys make it through that training, which is unique. And so it was cool to be able to go through that training. Went through SEAL qualification training. That's when I met Leif Babin and Seth Stone. If you guys have read Extreme Ownership, Leif Babin and Jocko Willink wrote Extreme Ownership. In Extreme Ownership, they talk about the Delta Platoon Commander. That was Seth Stone. And so that was who we worked with in Ramadi. But, I, man, I started working with those guys in SEAL qualification training. And it was cool because I was able to learn from them what good leadership looks like. And Seth and Leif were always taking care of the guys. And by taking care of the guys, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to we're gonna cover some things up. We're not gonna. We're not gonna hold high standards. We'll kind of hook the guys up. That's not taking care of the people. Even though they were going through the training, they also expected high standards for every single one of us. And you got to think about it. I'm 18, 19 years old going through this training, and I have these guys. Oh man, I thought they were so old at the time. He's like the oldest guy I knew at that time. 
16 40, years now, younger than we are now. <laughs> yeah, now that I'm 40, I'm like, oh, that's actually comical. <laughs> but I'm 19 years old going through training, and these guys are 27 years old. They've been in, they've gone through college. They've been in the regular fleet Navy. And I'm like, man, these guys are awesome. <laughs> like, I just, I was looking up to them and had this huge, tremendous amount of respect for them, um, just what they had already done and the experience they had. And I'm learning real time from these guys the importance of working hard and time management and being disciplined and taking notes and listening and having good conversations and just naturally just being around these guys. And then Seth telling me, hey, man, we were checking in Field Team 3 together. And Seth was like, hey, JP, let's make sure we go grab some notebooks because, hey, man, like, it's good to have a notebook so you can write down all the different things that you're going to be learning and hearing about. You're going to forget a lot of stuff. And also it shows people respect for the time when you're sitting down talking with someone. Then you can do a quick recap of that conversation when you're done. And I was like, oh. And so you got to think about it. What's the likelihood I would have thought to do that on my own? Zero percent. You're right. It's zero percent, Brian. But the cool thing about this, guys, is when you know, you have somebody that you look up to that you have a good relationship with saying, Hey, this is something you should probably be doing. Not saying, Hey, you have to do this, but Hey, you should probably do this. And here's why. Guess what I still do to this day, Nate? I have a notebook with me when I go sit down and talk with people, a physical notebook, even though we have technology with our phones and computers which sometimes if I forget my notebook, yeah, I use it. And I show people, I'll be like, hey, I'm using the notes to my phone during this conversation. I just want you to know I'm not screwing around on my phone. But, and then I'll, show, I'll literally physically show them the notes that are open. And then as I'm taking notes for a conversation, because I want to make sure I have alignment. And that's the biggest thing that people fail to establish when building relationships and trying to lead the people around them is alignment. If you don't have alignment, if your people don't have alignment with you in regards to what you're asking them to go do, how they need to go do the work, how do you expect them to get the job done? How do you expect to build a healthy relationship if you don't have any alignment? Now, I don't know if you guys are married or if you have families, but I'm married. I have three kids. And you know what I've found to be true, Brian and Nate? Anytime my wife and I are arguing, guess what there is not? Alignment. We, yeah, we don't have alignment. Because <laughs> guess what? When we have alignment, we don't argue. We don't fight. We talk through stuff. We have the ability to communicate because we understand what each other is going through. Now, having alignment doesn't mean that you agree. Because uh, I know someone's mad. I don't always agree with my coworkers then. I don't always agree with my wife. Yeah. How do I get my wife to align with my ideals more? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's someone's thinking about that. Or co-host. We we all joke about those things, but it's actually not about them. It's about you. It's about you aligning with them and having the, having the relationship and the ability to say, Hey, it's not about me. It's about them. Hey, I want to focus on what Brian and Nate need. I want to focus on what my wife needs. I want to focus on what my kids need. I want to focus on what my boss needs. I need alignment with what they have going on so that I can support them. That's what we need to be thinking about. That's what we need to be focusing on. And 
I learned that from Seth at an early age of just taking notes in a meeting. A simple notebook is a powerful tool to one, show people respect, and two, allow you to gain alignment with them so that you can support them. And guess what? If you have a really good relationship, guess what those people are going to want to do back with you? Reciprocate. They're going to want to support you. Now, we don't do it with the intent of, hey, man, I'm going to do this so that Nate can support me. No. My intention is to support Nate and the mission. I want to take care of the mission. I want to take care of the team. And I want to take care of the people around me. That's all I care about. And I know that if I do that with the right intent, it will come back to me. Not for my benefit, but so that we have, <clears throat> so that we have alignment. That's just something a lot of people miss the mark on because they focus on me. And, and that's what I, and I appreciate that like softball underhand throw that you gave me of like, like the common things that people think about. Hey, how do I get my wife to align with me? How do I, and that's a common thing. That's a very common thing. And it's a, as you guys know from talking with Carlos and you listening to Jocko's podcast and reading extreme ownership and dichotomy of leadership and leadership strategy and tactics and discipline equals freedom field manual. Like you guys know as good leaders, your job is to serve your people. Your job is to serve your family, your communities, and it's to actually take care of them and to build relationships. And so if I, if my focus is to lead my people, if my job, if my focus is to lead my peers, if my, Focus to, is to lead my boss, to lead up the chain of command and across the chain of command, in addition to down the chain of command, I really have to be focused on relationships. That's the only way you're going to get any of these things done is by having really good relationships. And I recognize that when I was checking into the field teams at a young age, hey, these guys I'm going to go to war with. Why would I not want to have a really good relationship with them? There's zero reasons not to. Why would I want to have conflict with any of those guys? And so my focus was working really hard and building relationships when I was a new guy in the field teams. And guess what? Helps you build relationships with your peers and your bosses. Working really hard. I know it's not rocket science, and I know you guys are in an industry that requires your men and women to work very hard and to go above and beyond and get the job done because if we don't like it's going to cause some problems and there's a major rippling effect, but in any aspect of your life in any industry, it doesn't matter what you do. If you want to build a relationship, you have to focus on winning for your people, get your boss, a bunch of wins, get your peers, a bunch of wins, get your team some wins and show them that you're out there to support them, that you're fighting for them and, when you do that, you can build a solid base and a relationship with the people. And then once you show your people that you trust them, that you're going to listen to them, that you respect them, and that you also want them to have the ability to influence you and that you care, when you show them those five things, you have a solid relationship. That's a base that you can build anything upon. Say those, five, thing. Say those five things again for us, JP. Trust, listen, respect, influence, and care. So, Brian, if I want you to trust me, what do I have to show you? 
Trust. Trust. Yeah. Nate, if I want you to listen to me when we're talking and interacting in life, what do I also have to do with you? Listen. Yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, if Ryan and Nate, if I want you guys to show me respect, no matter where it is, whether we're peers, I work for you guys, work for me, it doesn't matter. If I want you guys to respect me, what do I have to show you guys? I feel like there's a theme here, maybe. I don't know. Respect. Yeah, oh, I know. It's weird. I know. Yeah, I have to show you guys respect. And then, oh, wait, same thing for influence. If I want to be able to influence you guys, that means that I have to allow you guys to influence me. Meaning, instead of me just dictating what you guys do or what we are going to do all the time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, hey, Brian, what do you think we should do today? Man, I was thinking we, we could, no, we could go, you know, get an early morning lift in and we could go get some jujitsu in. And then, Hey, I, I think we should go scout out a few job sites and then cool, man. I like your idea. Good to go. Love the idea. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, Hey, I'm just going to ask you, Nate works for me. And I'm like, Hey Nate, what do you think? What do you think we should do on this job site today? And Nate, I think, no, I was thinking maybe we could do this first and then this, and then we go do this. And I'm like, cool. I like it, man. Let me know what I can do to support you. I'm allowing him to influence me. Now, I know somebody's listening, but what if Nate's one of your newer workers and he just doesn't know what to do? Cool. It's a coaching opportunity. It's now an opportunity for me to actually build more trust and say, and, hey, Nate, I, man, I like some of your ideas. I, there's just one, one part of your plan. I just, I need a little more clarification because for us to do it this way, that actually doesn't make sense to me based off of, the standard operating procedures our company has put in place for how we are supposed to do things on a job site. And I just want to make sure I'm not missing something. So why, why would we do it this way? And then, so what I'm doing is I'm bringing alignment and I'm bringing awareness to Nate that one of the things that he suggested might not be the best idea. But the reason why I'm going to go about that way is guess what? I want to assume that Nate knows something I don't know. I want that to be my default is Nate knows something that I don't know, and Nate is right. And that's hard for us to do because our ego gets in the way, and our ego wants to say, hey, Nate is an idiot. You've been doing this so much longer, JP. Just tell Nate that you can't do that and just butt in, right? Say, hey, Nate, I like all these things, but you should do this instead. Now, if I do that, does Nate have any ownership anymore? No, because now he's doing what I told him to do. I want to drive ownership so that Nate has a sense of alignment and fulfillment and responsibility and knowing that I believe in him, that I trust him, that I respect him, that I actually listen to his plan and I let him go out there and do it and I let him influence me. So I'm going to guide Nate to where he needs to be if his plan is way off. But guess what? The likelihood of that, if I trained Nate properly, if I established guidelines and SOPs and made sure Nate was good to go through the training programs that we have, the leadership development programs that our company has, guess what? Nate's ideas, for the most part, are going to be solid. And I'm just going to say, yeah, actually, hey, I like that, Nate. Let me know what I can do to support you. And the more I do that, the more influence I gain with Nate. Therefore, the more trust I have with Nate. And when I'm doing these things, my people know that I care about them. And I have to show my people that I care about them. I have to actually take the time to get to know my people 
and say, hey, man, Nate, you've been, Ben, you've been working your tail off, brother, and I really appreciate it. I just want to make sure you're good, you're healthy. How you feeling, man? Like you've been logging in a lot of overtime, which we appreciate, which I know is actually required right now. But let me know if you feel like we need to slow it down a little bit because the worst thing that can happen is if you get burnt out because you're one of my you're one of my go to guys. And I want to make sure that you're healthy, that you're getting enough rest and that you still love doing what we do in a year or two from now. So I'm gonna actually I'm gonna plant that seed in his ear because I know when I'm working with high performers, they're going to burn themselves out. Not maliciously, but they're subconsciously going to burn themselves out because they're hard workers. They have a sense of pride in working hard. They care about providing for their families. They care about the mission. And if I have a really good relationship with my people, guess what my people are also naturally going to do? They're going to work hard for me. They're going to work extra hard for me. So I, as a boss, actually have to protect them by once in a while throttling back the amount of work that they're doing so that they can be fresh. And more importantly, I want my people safe. And if I'm keeping my people safe, does that show them that I care about them as well? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so these are things that aren't rocket science. These are things that probably you guys do every day. It's probably the same things that your men and women do. But it's something we need to be reminded of daily. It's so these good are things that we, yeah, sorry, go ahead. it's so good, JP. And I'm just, I'm tracking with you on these things. And we have leaders that listen to this show. What happens if you, as the leader, you extend trust to somebody and maybe they don't necessarily break your trust, but they don't really extend trust back to you. You listen to them and they always nod their head and yeah, I hear you, but they never really want to hear more than just the face value of things and the respect piece they mind their p's and q's when they're in front of everybody but when they're behind the scenes and out of the dumpster or whatever they're not demonstrating that and they cowtail to what you're what you're working through on this system the trust listen respect influence and care when they're in public but behind the scenes they're not really bought in how would you handle somebody like that yeah that's a really good question when I initially think about what you're asking, that's a relationship problem, man. Because if people aren't fully trusting you back or showing you trust, why is that? What have you done to cause them not to trust you? That's on you, 100% as a leader. If I have somebody on my team that's doing that, I'm looking at myself 100%. And the, and the thing that we have to fight is when you're saying that a lot of people naturally can just be like, yeah, man, I just got people that work for me that are like this. It's just who they are. They suck. Like they're not good people. They're not hard workers. And they want to insulate because it's so easy for us to blame everybody else. It is so easy for us to blame everybody else. And the hardest thing for us to do is look at ourselves and say, Hey, how do you take ownership? over somebody else not being a good person. How do you do that? That's hard. I'm going to start with looking at my relationship because I don't care how far off in alignment you are with another person on their views and their beliefs and whatever it is, their background that they grew up and how they work. I don't care how far that is. If you actually have a relationship with them, 
they're going to have respect for you. If you have an actual relationship with them, that is something that you cannot hide. It's a basic human instinct. It's way we were designed. It's a relationship problem, my man. That's what it is. And it's hard. And I am talking to myself right now because it is so hard when I have these people in my life because my natural default, Brian, is to blame them for being just crappy human and just calling them lazy and just saying, because I want to compare about how much better of a person I am. That's no, right, man. It's a relationship problem. It's a relationship problem. <laughs> no, yeah, when, yeah. when I read Extreme Ownership, that was the thing that kept coming back as a frustration because everybody has people in their lives that you want to be like, all right, well, this guy's just a bonehead. This guy's just a screw up. You know, he shouldn't be part of it. And they are. And, and, and then you bring it back to yourself and like, no, it can't constantly be my fault. Somebody has to, somebody else has to be to blame at some point, right? <laughs> Extreme yeah. ownership just keeps bringing it back and saying, no, have you trained them properly? No, exactly. have you met it's, with them? No, have you led them? No, have you communicated? Come on, yeah. man. It makes it a lot easier too when, for my sake, I was an extreme screw up and I had a mentor really invest in me, a great leader. Yeah, so was I, man. And it changed everything <laughs> for me. Yeah, and so that's why I can literally sit here with confidence and I will freaking push back and, and have a conversation on this literally until the day I die. Nobody, there is nobody out there Brian and Nate, that can convince me what I just said was wrong, and here's why. And that's not from an egotistical, oh, I can never be wrong. I'm saying you're never going to tell me that it's not my fault in regards to relationships. You can't convince me otherwise because I know that it is on me, 100% me, to build those relationships. And guess what? I was the screw-up. I was that knucklehead. I was that liberty risk. I was that leadership challenge. 100%, fill in the blank, whatever you want to say, that was me. Getting arrested for fighting, me. DUIs, me. Divorces, me. Bad money management, me. Like all those things, whatever you want to talk about, me. I did all of those things when I was young and immature and wild. And guess what got me back on the path every single time? A leader that I had a good relationship with every single time. It was somebody that I respected. It was somebody that I had a good relationship with because they took care of me because they trusted me. They showed me respect. they listened to me when I talked. They allowed me to influence them over the years. Guess what? Those people that did those things that we talked about, those were the ones that could always bring me back in. Man, it seems and over like, time, they showed me how to stay on that path. That's the other important thing, is once you get people back on the path, then you show them how to stay on the path. And you continuously guide them and mentor them and coach them and lead them. It seems as JPs, I know some of the leaders you're talking about are like Jocko Willink, Seth Stone, Leif Bang, yeah. like you've had some of the best world-class leaders probably that have ever lived able to speak in your life and it can feel like maybe you had a leg up in that but I've seen people who the stronger and better the leader the more apt they are to shy away from that person like they run from good leadership I've seen myself be that before I ran in it was the right time in my life and the right leader 
and it all worked out well and has worked out to this point. But I've been there before where I had good leaders come through my life and I just, I was so steeped in my rebellion or whatever it was or immaturity that I ran away from that leadership. Yeah. Despite but, having but like great trip, leaders around yeah. you, it, kudos to you too, because not everybody will take to good leadership. People, some people will yeah. run for the hills. They will, because I also think because they've been damaged by bad leaders that didn't have good intentions, that were manipulative, and it just put a bad taste in their mouth. And so that's the other thing is that you have to think about, okay, what battle are you fighting against when you're a leader? What are some things that have gone wrong in these guys or gals' lives from other leaders that you now have to fix? And that's, again, that comes back to understanding your people and being able to lead them. Is hey, is this person that is causing problems? What was their childhood? How were they raised? Were they abused physically? Were they abused mentally? You don't think that that's not going to have a lasting effect on somebody? You don't think that makes somebody to act up and not trust you? Oh, because they had other people in their life that were in positions of, quote, leadership that took advantage of that. I know of people that are very close to me that had abusive parents. And <clears throat> sorry, I, it bothers me <clears throat> when I talk about these things because my parents were incredible. <laughs> and my parents were absolutely incredible. And there are people out there that didn't have that. They didn't have parents that showed them love. They didn't have parents that cared about them. They didn't have parents that listened to them and tried to help them work through hard times. And, and there, there are parents that are also physically and sexually abusive, which to me, that just, I'm not going to share my thoughts on that, <laughs> but that just furiates me. And these are things that we have to think about. Is somebody in an abusive relationship with a spouse or a significant other? Like these things affect people. Hey, does somebody that you're working with, they're being super rebellious and they're not listening. Well, why is that? And you start pulling the thread and you build a relationship. And this is something that you have to understand guys and gals that are listening is that these things, they take time. And you have to be willing to put in the time. You have to be willing to get to know somebody and ask questions and pull the thread and figure it out. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he said that when he was 14 years old, he was big enough that he could literally beat his dad in basketball and other sports. And his dad stopped playing these sports with him because of his ego and so this kid would purposely lose every single time just so that he could spend that time with his dad. He was just craving that time with his dad. And then as he got older, he was speaking at this event and he gets done and he had literally hundreds of people lined up to talk to him and were like, man, that was incredible. That was great. Thank you for that message. It changed my life. This guy was talking at a church. And he said, he gets to the end of the line and he goes and talks to his dad. And he goes, what'd you think, dad? And he goes, you screwed up this and this. You forgot about, 
Like all his dad had was just negative things to say to him. And it destroyed him and it broke his confidence and it, it really affected him. And he realized that it was a cycle that he had to break. And so he went and actually sat down with his dad and they were talking and he goes, dad, when you said this, it, it hurt me. When you did this, it hurt me. When you didn't do this, it hurt me. And he goes, I know you love me, dad, but I got to tell you, like all these things that you've done and haven't done, it's, it's affected me. And his dad instantly was just like defensive and defensive. And it, he said it clicked. And he's like, you know what, dad? I've never actually ever talked to you about your childhood. I don't know anything about your childhood. And I'm sorry for that. And he said his dad instantly broke and just started just crying and telling him. His dad was in a super abusive environment growing up. And he never knew that. He never knew any of these things. And so the reason why I'm sharing that story is if this guy didn't know that about his dad, what do you not know about the men and women that you work with? And so I'm always going to default to, you know what? I need to work on a better relationship. I need to build, I need to build more trust. Because if I can build trust with my people and they know that I care about them, I'm going to have the advantage when it comes to my ability to lead them so that I can take care of them. Mm. Yeah. And I'm feeling for some leaders out there that that's a tiring thing. Being a leader is a lonely, it's a lonely place to be. And it can be. If you're not careful, you end up taking on the burdens of all of your team and you just get beaten down. So how do we as leaders protect ourselves from basically just being the pile on of Oh, I got Brian's problems now, and I got JP's problems now, and I got Frank's problems now. Not, not just protect ourselves from it, but but the one thing that guy needed from his dad probably since the day he was born and wasn't getting was his dad was all about criticism, and he just needed some encouragement. Like, how do yeah. we how do we not only deflect all those issues and not make them our own, but how do we also keep in mind that our we're not fathers to these people, but there are a lot of, especially in the trades, man. There are a lot. I'm one of them. There are a lot of guys in the trades and women in the trades who never knew their dad. So you may actually be playing a father role to somebody and not even know it. Yeah. One, go into the battle knowing that. So you know that. Okay, cool. It helps you deal with that. It's, a, it's an awareness of, hey, this might be a common problem that we're fighting up against. Okay, cool. How do I prepare myself for that? What do I need to, what boundaries do I need to set as a leader? And that's the other thing is as a leader, you also have to establish boundaries with your people, with your leadership, and with your peers, meaning that you have to you have to first identify like what those boundaries need to look like, and then just clearly communicate them to people. And I'm always going to take everything I can on my plate from my family and from my team and even my peers, but I also always have somebody that I can go up to to help with that stress with that pressure and just get advice from. And so even just simply talking to somebody and getting advice helps eliminate, I should say, alleviate some of that stress and that pressure and that burden. And I'm just going to be, I have good leaders in my life that I can go and do that to. 
And I was working with a company and one of the owners, we were actually talking about something similar to what you just asked. And the guy was just like, I just, I need to find, I was like, yeah, I take on all this stuff from everyone else. He goes, the problem I have is what do I do with it? He goes, I don't have anybody to bring it up to. I'm the CEO. I said, that's why you find a mentor and a coach. Find somebody in this industry that you can lean on. Find a business coach that you can lean on. And and that's some of the things that we do at Echelon Front. And I wasn't telling it to this guy to try to say, hey, man, hire hire us as your executive coach so you can work these problems. I was just like, giving him awareness of, hey, when you're at that CEO level, you got to be more strategic. You got to be up and out. You got to think big picture. Like, how can you take what you're doing to the next level? And for some people, it's spending time reading the Bible and praying and some people it's meditating and some people it's working out. Some people it's all of the above. Like you also have the ability as a human to eliminate a lot of that stress and pressure through just being mindful with taking the time to work on yourself, to give yourself time to think and work through problems. And a lot of the time that's all we need to do is just think, literally just sit back, think, do an honest self-assessment, honest self-assessment of yourself, of your team, and do like an internal little debrief of what's going on and what are you working on. And then when you can start working on those problems and providing solutions, guess what? It eliminates a lot of that stress and pressure again. So the, I've found as a leader, yeah, hey, I have peers and bosses that I can go to. But I also understand that through the lens of extreme ownership, I need to handle this stuff on my own. And I need to understand what outlets allow me to eliminate stress and pressure And then what do I need to be doing to help solve problems? Because when I'm out there solving problems and taking care of my people, it eliminates a lot of stress and pressure off my plate. So I'm glad you brought that up because as leaders, especially middle management, as team leaders or field soups or service managers in our world and our trade terminology, all that stuff, you feel like you have bosses on both ends of the spectrum. You have to tend the sheep, but you have to you take care of your flock and you're hearing complaints and all that stuff about how this isn't good and this isn't good and this isn't good. And then of course the top is never happy and they're saying like, this needs to be better and we need to do this and this guy needs to whatever. And so you're getting it from both ends. You're getting squeezed, right? And so you turn into this Mr. Fix-It guy and you only ever see the problems anymore because that's what everybody is telling you. This needs fixed. And, and you end up like, you get stuck in this mode and decision-making and solution solve problem solving, all that stuff. That's great. Those are high level skills for any leader to have for sure. But if we're not careful, we get stuck in this box of just constantly going in to fix it. And people don't always need fixed and they also don't always want to be fixed. No. And that comes down to one of the laws of combat that we teach at Echelon Front is prioritize and execute. You as a leader have to look at all these things in front of you and say, all right, what's the biggest priority? And the reason why people feel overwhelmed, Brian and Nate, is because they take on too many things. And you also have to learn the power of saying no. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Hey, I can't take this on board. I We are in a crazy growth mode at Echelon Front. My wife just had a major surgery two weeks ago. For another six weeks, she can't lift anything over 10 pounds. And we're also closed on the house, and we're in the middle of moving, and we're packing up. Or moving at the end of this month. So, okay, I got all this work stuff going on, like legit big work things. My wife, equally important, if not more important, in the realm of just 
the priority of big things is major surgery and recovery. We closed on a house. We have to pack up. We have to move. I'm also traveling for work. We have three kids that train jujitsu, that do wrestling, that are in summer break. All these things. I train jujitsu. I've got to work out to stay healthy. So it's okay. What do I have to be doing each day? And so what I found is like I have to understand what are my priorities for the month. Break that down to the week, and then break that to the day. And then I have to be disciplined enough to put those things in my calendar and stick to my calendar. And if there's not spots in my calendar, then I have to learn to tell people no. And I've had a few people reach out for me to come. One was help out with this charity event, which I normally love. I love being able to do those. And I actually had to tell them like, hey, I actually don't have the ability to help. I don't have the free space. I don't have, I can't make that a priority this year. And for me, it sucked. Like it really sucked having to say that because, dude, I want to be able to help. But dude, if I did that, what are these other things that I'm taking away from? And it's just, I have to be very mindful of my time. My time is so valuable. And that's the thing is that people don't understand and respect what their time is worth. And we have to be more mindful of those things. And so when I've been able to set parameters of, okay, hey, here's what my time is worth. Here's the priorities in my life that are non-negotiable. Every man and woman that's listening to this, you should have some non-negotiables in your life. One of them for me is if I'm not on the road traveling, meaning I'm not gone, working an event with a client, if I'm home, Tuesdays and Thursday nights, I am at jujitsu with my daughters and my son. So I will take my daughters to their class, and then Aiden and I, we will do the class afterwards, and then we come home. That is a non-negotiable. Literally, don't care what it is, I'm not missing that because the amount of time that I have with my kids is limited. Aiden's going to be a senior next year. My girls, my twin daughters, they're 11 years old. Time is fleeting. It's growing up. And they're growing up. I can't take that time back. I can't pause it. I can't rewind it. The only thing I can do with time is make the most of it. And so in order for me to make the most of it, I have had to set parameters personally and professionally. And I know I started to deviate from your original question, but the premise and the base of what I'm saying is true in all aspects of our life. Personally and professionally, you have to set parameters. You have to set guidelines that you're going to adhere to, and you have to understand what is the priority. What's the most impactful thing to the organization and to the team and then to yourself? And you got to look at that from the lens of personally and professionally. Hey, what do I need to do that's the most impactful thing to my family and then to my spouse, my kids, and then to myself, lastly? And then in business, hey, what's the most impactful thing that I need to be working on to us accomplishing the mission? And then to taking care of my people and then to taking care of an individual and then taking care of myself last. That's what we got to be thinking about. Yeah, I want to say Andy Stanley gave some talks that I've heard about like when you choose to say yes to something, you're actually choosing to say no to something else. And like you, you have to be really careful about that. 
Time management is a, an effective skill that every leader needs to balance. Lisa Turkhurst has an entire book called The Best Yes, because we're all faced with decisions every day about where to invest our time. And we are going to be asked to invest more than 24 hours every single day. And it's a matter of choosing the best yes in those scenarios to become not only the most efficient and most productive, but also the biggest return on that investment. So I want to move now into some of the leadership challenges that any leader can really experience. And one of those is paralysis analysis, right? So where we get stuck in this this decision-making phase, but we can't actually execute. Like we just go back and forth with what about this? And what if I do that, then this will happen. And we sort through all the scenarios and the contingencies and all these things. And we try to cover it all, which is great because we're trying to plan, but we never actually move into execution. We never actually carry anything out. What advice would you have for leaders who are even debating something right now in their head, trying to figure out what to do? Is there just times when you have to get off the pot, so to speak, or is there a way that we can bump ourselves out of this decision revolutionary door that keeps going around and around to actually move into action or what do we do in those scenarios? Yeah. So I really like question. And as I'm listening and thinking to about what you're saying is to me, the first initial thing that it brings you back to is a lack of training because you don't have the confidence to execute on something. Mm. Just think about that for a second. Why aren't you executing? Because you're not confident in your decision or you're not confident in your ability to execute the decision. Why is that? I mean, there's certainly an element of fear, right? We have the uncertainty. Because of lack of confidence in your skill set, in your ability. And that comes down to lack of training. So what happens if we find ourselves there and we're the leader and we're supposed to make the decisions and we have to make the decisions So what do we do? So that's what we all think we should be doing. But as a leader, the best thing I can be doing, Brian, is driving the decision-making process down to my people. So if I'm in that position and I don't know what to do, I'm going to simply say, hey, Brian, Nate, what do you guys think we should do right now? I'm not 100% sure myself. I would like to hear your guys' insight. Mm. And guess what? You guys might have the answer. Now back to the the influence piece. Yes. Yeah. And that shows humility, which is the number one characteristic of a great leader. Think about how hard it is to do what I just said, which is so simple. But simply say, hey, Brian, Nate, to be honest, guys, I don't know what the right answer is right now. What do you guys think we should be doing? And then it allows me to detach and allows me to see your perspective, which might make sense to me. And when you say, oh, JP, I was thinking maybe we could, I was thinking maybe we could set up an overwatch on these two different buildings to support each other. And I'm like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense, Brian. So what two buildings are you and Nate going to set up on? And then we start talking through it and you show me on the map and you said, I think we should set up on this one. And Nate says, we should show up on this. We should set up on this one. And I'm like, huh, actually, yeah, actually guys, I like that. Execute. What do you guys need from me? The idea of decentralizing command. 100%. I want to drive the decision-making process down to my people at every opportunity possible. Because when I do that, I'm giving them ownership. So when we got to Ramadi, nobody knew what we needed to be doing there. Literally nobody. It was just, hey, I think we should maybe do this. Because we were working to support 
the soldiers and Marines that were there. And it was the same thing for them. They, I mean, nobody knew what we needed to be doing. It was like, I think we should be doing this. Cool. Let's make a small iterative decision. Let's just make a small iterative decision. And if you're still listening to what we're talking about, that is the key. That's the key point to what Brian's question was. You make a small iterative decision, making meaning at a small commitment. It's nothing major. You make a small commitment. Because who's afraid of making a small commitment? Not a lot of people. Who's afraid of making a large commitment? Almost everybody out there. So the fear that you were talking about is because in our mind, it's a big decision. It's a big commitment. And you're uncertain of what could happen. And as a leader, as you said, like as a leader, a lot of people think I should be making the decisions. Meaning, if I make the wrong decision, my team's going to blame me. Okay, cool. So this is what I do. I make small iterative decisions by driving ownership to my people and saying, hey, what do you think we should be doing? You know what? Hey, that seems safe. I don't think there's a lot of risk to that. Go ahead and execute. What do I need to support you, Brian? Do you need anything from me? Cool. All right. Hey, Nate, what do you need me? What do you need from me? What do you think we should be doing right now? Hey, I agree with you. I like, I, hey, Nate, I like your idea. So what I'm doing is setting parameters. Like, hey, this is what we need to be doing. This is why. How do you guys want to go out there and execute? And then when I'm allowing my people to make decisions and lead, they're getting ownership. They're taking ownership. I drive ownership to them so that they can make the decisions on their own, which is going to build their confidence, which is going to build their ability to make decisions. And the more confidence that we have, the more repetitions we have, the faster we're able to analyze the things that are happening around us so that we can go through that decision-making process faster. That's all life is. Life is one big decision-making process. Dave Burke, who works for us, he's a fighter pilot. He was a Top Gun instructor. He ran Top Gun. 23 years in the Marine Corps as an officer, as a fighter pilot. Works, works with us in Ramadi, on the ground. Works with us at, at Echelon Front. Incredibly intelligent guy. He talks about this thing called the OODA loop. O-D-A loop. And if you're listening to this, if you want to pause and pull up YouTube and type in OODA loop, O-D-A loop, Dave Burke, B-E-R-K-E. He has a really good video that explains the OODA loop and the decision-making process. It's incredible. And so if we look at that, so OODA loop stands for observe, orient, decide, act. You have to observe what's happening around you, meaning we actually have to detach from our emotions. We have to detach from the work. We have to detach from whatever is distracting us and actually look around and see what's happening. And then we have to orient ourselves, meaning, okay, what's happening? Where am I in relationship to what's happening? How does it affect me? How does it affect my team? Orient my team. Hey, how's my team oriented to what's happening around them? Is this good? Is this bad? Is it neutral? Okay. Based off that information that I now have, what do I need to do? Okay. Once you decide what you need to do, take action. But if we take too long, overthinking the decision that we're making and we don't act, the environment's going to change. Therefore, the data that we just collected is no longer accurate for us to execute upon. And that's why it's a repetition. We need to be spending as much time as possible 
training our people on the skill sets and the craft that we expect them to execute. I need to be training my people on these basic life skills. Mm-hmm. Teach your kid how to drive. Do you just put them in the car in the middle of traffic and have them merge onto the freeway? And then all of a sudden now they're going 65 miles an hour with a bunch of cars around them for their first time driving. No. What do you do? You go find an open parking lot where there's limited risk. And you say, all right, you're going to drive in the parking lot. And they're like super stressed out and there's nobody around. There's <laughs> nothing you they can hit. The there's literally no issue. The like, only fear no is disappointing dad. That just took my son who's 15, his first time driving the day before yesterday, as it were. So good, good reference there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you just, and one, you know that he's stressed out because he doesn't want to disappoint you. Because guess what? You guys have a good relationship and he wants to win. He wants to perform for you. And so we have to make sure that we find the win and we can give them the win and we can encourage them. So the same thing for making decisions is understand like what's happening. And then we, we make small iterative decisions and we train our people. And if you're not having the ability to get as much training as you think you should, guess what? Life gives you the opportunity to train. If you were to assess and look at the things that are happening around you, you can say, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to learn how to detach my emotions. Hey, there's these two problems that just came up. Oh, that's prioritize and execute. I have to learn how to prioritize what's the most important thing that's going on. Hey, I'm going to be out on a job site with a guy that I don't like. Cool. That's a good opportunity for me to build that relationship and use the principle cover and move to make sure that we have alignment, that we're breaking down the silos and that we're working together. So we just have to be mindful of of what's going on and use it to our advantage. As we start wrapping up, you and Jocko talked about the Murphy's Laws of Combat in episode 376, which was so cool. Those laws were like amazing. And in most cases, I was like, man, is that applicable to what we do? And I know, have you been training now for seven years, eight years? Training in what? For for Echelon. Oh, for Echelon. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't sure if you meant like jujitsu, but yeah, for, I've been working at Ashland front for almost seven years. It's six and a half years right now. Okay. So for the one law that I really wanted to dive into a little bit here that I was, I could see some ways where this would apply to us, but I'm sure by now you figured that out for what we do, which is basically in-home sales, residential service. How does the awesome law, Murphy's laws of combats apply to us, which is Incoming fire has the right of way. And how do you watch out for that kind of thing? Yeah, so explain to me what that incoming fire would be to you. What do you perceive as incoming fire? Yeah, I was, I'm sorry. Yeah, incoming fire or enemy fire has the right of way. For us, what we've seen certainly since COVID is, and we were already seeing it leading up to this in in the home services, in the skilled trades in general, which is the skilled skilled Mm -hmm. trades gap, which is, people, young men, young women are not looking to go into the skilled trades. It's become a real push push for college education. So when you have a very small group of people looking to come into the trades, you have enemy fire is all of your competitors in your area trying to win the same small talent pool that you are. It's that. And then marketing, trying to take your customers. And that's about the two biggest things that I would say enemy fire, incoming fire are for us. Yeah. Okay. So you understand that it has the right away. And so you have to adapt your position. You have to adapt your perspective and change 
the way you look at things and understand, okay, hey, somebody's shooting at me. That enemy fire is a problem. And if I don't respect the fact that it has it right away, it can wound me and or kill me. Okay, so what are these problems that you know are consistently being thrown your way and how do you address them? And in combat, if the enemy shooting at you, you find cover and then you shoot back. And so the first thing is you have to find cover. Now, sometimes you're out in the middle of the open and so you're going to return fire. But your biggest thing is you're returning fire as you move to cover because cover stops those rounds. It stops the enemy fire from being able to impact you. So what you need to do is understand, hey, if you don't have cover accessible, how do you work to cover? Meaning, what do you need to do? Is it a relationship problem? Is it a training problem? Is it, what are the problems that we're dealing with? What is, who is the known enemy? And as you said, we have a handful of different enemies. Okay, we know recruitment is a problem. <clears throat> Why do we have a problem with recruitment? It's a lack of education on the trade, okay? What can we be doing to educate people on the benefits of the trade? Do we have workers that love the company that we work with? Yes or no? If the answer is no, that's a problem. If it's a yes, how do we capitalize on the fact that they love working for us to help with recruitment? Because guess what I naturally do, Brian? If I like the company, if I like something, I tell people about it. And I have a handful of clients that I've worked with that are just very incredible people. And I tell other people about their companies all the time. I'll meet guys that are like, yeah, man, I'm just whatever. It doesn't matter. It's like, I say, hey, man, one of my clients, this is the regions that they're in. This is what they're doing. You should check them out. Hey, I got a point of contact that I can put you in place with. And so one of my buddies from the SEAL teams, he started a, a company, or he's starting a company right now of veteran placement to help veterans be placed with companies uh, that need leaders. And it's in all different industries. And the trades industry is a big one. Because there's a natural connection between veterans and the trades. And also, there's also a big need. And if we can educate people about the industry, the benefits of the industry, and make it appealing, that's what, I mean, that's what we need to be doing. People don't know about it because they're not educated on it. All right? We can sit back and say we can blame schools. We can blame teachers. We can blame the government. We can blame the media. We can blame everybody else by not pushing people to trades and pushing them to go to college and do these other things. Or we can be default aggressive and say, all right, how do we develop a marketing campaign to appeal to these high school graduates that don't want college debt? How do we get unique? How do we get creative with it? Is it a targeted marketing campaign of where we focus on the, the fact that, hey, you're not going to have college debt. Hey, we're going to provide you a skill set that allows you to have a good income. And hey, we provide benefits and all, or whatever it is that your company provides, but we need to show people the value, not expect them to know the value, show them the value. And then guess what? I'm going to create my own little internal army of recruiters within my organization. I'm going to literally create some sort of program that my employees benefit from when they recruit people. Hey, you bring somebody on board? Cool. This is what you get. They stay here for six months, this is what you get. They've been here for a year, this is what you get. So it's not just bringing people to the company, but it's bringing people to the company and then helping develop them and help retain them and build that culture and build that army of people that want to work with you and your team. And then I'm going to leverage my people because guess what? They're the ones that have the relationships. 
they're the ones that has the cousin that they're going to go see next weekend at a birthday who just got laid off that doesn't have a job. And you say, hey, man, have you ever thought about being in this trade? Or, hey, man, my company's hiring right now. And then educating, I'm going to say it like 20,000 times, educating your people on how to actually recruit on your behalf. Educating your people on how to have the conversations of what to say, what not to say, and then have it an internal team that can that they can hand it off to. This has been incredible, JP, and the time's just flown by. Unfortunately, we we want to respect your time here, and you have other things to do today. I appreciate it. I know the time went by quick. I'm like, man, we could do this for another three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, buddy, we can make that happen. Yeah. Hey, before you leave, if people are interested in learning more about you or the things you're doing at Echelon Front, where's the best place to find those resources? Yeah. So one, I would say echelonfront.com is our website. And if anybody wants to work with Echelon Front, honestly, yeah, I know people have been, you guys gave them Los's information. That's a good one. People can reach out to me directly or honestly, the best thing for the company is reach out to echelonfront.com directly. And if they want to learn more about our different services, we have an operations and sales team that will help facilitate Zoom calls, phone calls, whatever is needed to learn more about the services that we provide. We do hands-on scenario-based leadership training where that's literally, it's hands-on scenario-based leadership training where you're applying the principles that we talked about real time in stressful situations that we develop with these laser tag systems. You're out there conducting capture kill missions against role players. And then we come back from the mission and we debrief. Okay. Hey, Brian, what was your takeaway from that mission that applies to your business? And then you're able to sit there and go, man, I thought I had a simple plan. Clearly, my plan was not simple. It was too complicated. My people didn't know what to do, and that's my fault 100%. And you know what I realized? I do that back at work. I create these complicated plans and assume my people know what's going on. I don't get a read back, and it's causing confusion. So it's, it's a really cool tool that we use for people to feel these leadership principles real time so that they can work through it and learn to work through stressful situations. Like how do you handle and overcome the objections and the problems that you're working through every single day? So we have those. We actually have three of them. They're one-day events. They're coming up in September. Uh, We have the Muster, which is a two-day leadership event with Jocko Lake, myself, Dave Burke, and our Jamie Cochran, Carlos, Cody Gandy. Our whole Echelon Front leadership team is going to be there. Two full days of leadership training. We have battlefield reviews. We have one coming up in August at Little Bighorn. That's incredible opportunity to learn these leadership lessons from history. And then we have Extreme Ownership Academy, which is our online leadership training program where you have access to different training programs. You can watch a video, take a test, progress along. Late Jocko and I just recorded one yesterday around the sales principles like for sales professionals using these leadership principles to be better and more ethical at sales by actually leading and taking care of people. And so people can watch those. They have live access every Monday to Jocko Leif, myself, the different instructors to work through different topics and have live Q and a sessions with our leadership team. Yeah, that's pretty much for all the echelon front stuff. I'm on Instagram at JP Donnell. So J P D I. N-N-E-L. And so if someone wants to follow me there, 
to get more engaged. And yeah, it's what we got going on at Echelon Front. And we'll post all these links in the Waste No Day Facebook group for anybody who didn't have a cool. pen while you're driving. So don't worry about that. Yeah, for sure. JP, it's been a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing a vast amount of information to help the leaders in our industry grow. We've really appreciated that. And as well as your your time serving our country as well, we greatly appreciate that also. And we, we appreciate everything you guys do at Echelon Front and especially uh, the Extreme Ownership and Dichotomy of Leadership book, which you were a big part of. You're mentioned in both of those books. multiple. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity that I had to be able to serve. It was my honor and I'm very thankful for what I get to do at Echelon Front, and I appreciate you guys allowing me to be on your podcast. I you know, hope somebody found some value, and if you did find value, make sure you share this episode and can subscribe and comment. How Do all the things that help the podcast grow as well. Awesome. Thanks, JP. Keep leading and lead well. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. That's a wrap for this podcast. What an incredible hour and a half spent with J.P. Donnell there. Such great information and an awesome story to back it up and one with humility. He speaks as a man not who is teaching out of theory, but teaching out of practicality and experience. And I think that's so powerful. And the things that he brought to the table, whether you're in a position of leadership or not, we are all leaders. And he brought a lot of great content and examples and principles that we should be applying on a daily basis. We wanted to wrap up this podcast with a reminder that if you, like he said there at the end of the show, if you liked the episode, share it, uh, let other people know, especially leaders in your life who might need an extra boost or encouragement. It'd be super for them to hear some great concepts and tactics that will improve their role in whatever it is. We want to leave you now with our weekly challenge, which is the same each and every week to choose to wake up each and every morning and waste no day.